Hey guys, I'm Cody. I'm Emily. And we are back with another episode of Misery Manor. But before we get started, make sure you get comfortable and leave your manners at the D double O R door. Hello, everybody. Oh, goodness. Hi. Hi. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. And we, well, I have a really exciting, <laughs> scary, gnarly motherfucking case for you all today. Um, but before I get into this case, just a few, I guess, housekeeping things. Emily and I are traveling next week to go film this docuseries. So we're probably only going to release one episode next week i'm really gonna try to do my homework maybe um. <laughs> we'll do two it just depends because we have to do some research for this as well and um more details to come about what we're filming what the name of it is where you can um stream it at and where you can watch it at but for right now we can't give any information on that but just know we will be out of town it's not rupaul's drag race <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, if we were only gone for a week on RuPaul's, that means we were like the first ones eliminated. What would my name be? Carrot Top. Shut <laughs> up! Spooky ass bitch. Um, anyways, we're not going to film RuPaul's Drag Race. We are filming something else, so we're, else, so we're super excited. Um, again, details to come. So, you might get one episode next week, you might get two. Maybe you'll get two, I don't know. We'll figure God, it out. I thought you were going to say three and I was about to smack you. No, because we actually do have real jobs as well that we try to um, do well at. So, do we? I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me go ahead and get into this case. This is, like I said, a fucking insane one. I read a whole ass book this weekend and the weekend before on this case to just make sure I could give you the best detail as possible on this it is gnarly yeah and emily didn't know much about this story prior to going into this so i didn't yeah well you just knew the name of him yeah i just knew one detail i did not know the details the details so yeah like mentioned the details of this are horrendous so in this story we are going to cover all things true crime we're going to go through kidnapping rape, torture, mutilation, sodomy, which I know what is now, <laughs> dismemberment, decapitation, and obviously murder. So, Lord have mercy. So to start this case, I am going to take you back to March 24th, 1987. So this is about 35 years ago. The Philadelphia Police Department received a horrific and distressed phone call from a woman who claimed to have been held captive for four months. Office officials at the police station immediately tracked the location of the payphone she was calling from. When they arrived, Josefina Rivera told them that she 
and several other women had been held captive in a basement by name by name by a man named Gary Heidnick. So like I said, this is going to go through the gnarly details of his life, what he went through, what he put the girls through and all that good stuff. So I'm going to start off this by just giving you some details on him, his life growing up and all that good stuff, just so that you can kind of paint a picture in your mind of how somebody could possibly get to this point in their life. So Gary was born November of 1943 to parents Michael and Ellen Heidnick in a small suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and he had a Jewish upbringing. Shortly after giving birth to Gary, they also gave birth to another boy named Terry. Don't know why they would do Gary and Terry. Um, his parents, Michael and Ellen, had a great relationship, but due to the stress of having two additions to their family, marital problems began and continued for the couple for three years until 1946 when the couple decided to get a divorce. Now, Ellen was the parent who received custody of Gary and Terry for the next four years until Michael, their father, remarried, and then the two boys just moved in with him. It wasn't all roses and sunshines, though. Gary said when he moved in with his father that this is where he started to receive a lot of emotional and physical abuse and that his father would purposely try to humiliate him in front of everybody so and in public. So one time, Gary recalled that they were at the grocery store shopping around as a family, just getting groceries, and Gary accidentally tripped on something, and when he fell, he fell into the aisle and knocked down a lot of things off of the aisle shelves. And when he did, his father laughed hysterically out loud at him and then picked him up off the ground, beat Gary over and over again so intensely that the other shoppers noticed this and were like horrified and contacted the managers immediately. Um, so they just left and Gary was publicly humiliated. And this happened over and over again in a lot of different instances. So like I said, this happened weekly and daily. And this was starting to make a uh, take a major toll on Gary's confidence. Unfortunately, Gary also suffered from bedwetting as a child and even into his adult life. Now, bedwetting is typically a sign of lack of confidence and excessive fear. And Gary stated, sadly, that every night he went to sleep as a young boy, the emotional and mental trauma that he endured would haunt him, resulting in him wetting the bed. So instead of being a normal father and reassuring his son that everything was okay, Gary would see that um, Gary's father would see that Gary wet the bed and he would make him take his shamed, uh, his stained urine sheets and hang them in the bedroom window so that the neighbors, joggers, anyone entering their subdivision could see this. So obviously this is completely humiliating and devastating to Gary. Um, so he would just find himself locked in his room all day, crying in the corner and just completely being a loner. Because he was often alone, in order to cope with this isolation, he started making up fictional stories in his head and began to consider himself superior to his peers and thought of everyone around him as not worthy of his time or approval. So as the taunts continued at his family's house, Gary's confidence lowered and lowered, and then his stepmother eventually started taking part in the daily jokes, which made him mm -hmm. even more insecure. 
Um, and by the way, Gary's father never admitted to any of this. He never admitted to any child abuse or anything whatsoever. So school life for Gary was also super rough too. He was completely cut off from all communication to his friends and other students would make zero eye contact with him. Gary also would make zero eye contact with his teachers and other faculty in the school. Anytime students would try to even talk to him or glance his direction, he would remind them that they're not worthy of his time. Jeez. So Gary is completely, again, isolated from everyone. So there was an instance where one of his peers said, did you get your homework done, Gary? And to which Gary yelled at her, got out of his desk as if he was going to hit her and told her not to talk to him and that he, that she is not worthy of his time. Okay. So despite being an outcast, Gary was actually a genius and was considered to be one of the most intelligent students in the entire school. Oddly enough, Gary had an IQ of 148 and enjoyed learning new things. However, you know, he's killing it in school, making good grades. Mm -hmm. Gary's dumbass father stepped in the picture and was like, hey, I think you should drop out of high school and join the military academy in Virginia. So okay. wh why when your son's doing so good academically? So I think I know why <clears throat> now that hearing this. What? Um, do you have a minute? Well, cause like, <laughs> do I have, no, I don't. <laughs> yes, no, I, I just don't want to interrupt you, but like when he fell, he's like laughs at him and then like punches him Yeah. and then he hangs things, humiliates him. It's like when you hear kids, they, oh, they're like this, they go to military school. Yeah. So he's like, okay. he's smart. So he doesn't have an excuse to like make Act fun of like him. That. Right. But, yeah. So he's like, oh, he's in military school. Like yeah. he doesn't want him to be successful in any means. Right. He's trying to like knock him down. Mm -hmm. So like I said, his father was like encouraging him to move to the military academy in Virginia. And so Gary, not too keen on his father at this point, but still took his father's advice um, and ended up staying there for two years, but quit right before graduation and just enrolled into another public high school um, where he got his GED and he was 17 years old. So after graduation, Gary did decide that he missed the uh, military aspect of things. So mm -hmm. he just went ahead and enrolled in the United States Army. So Gary, when he enrolled, was he was accepted and he was loved by everyone. He was highly focused. He was determined. His drill sergeant described him as an excellent student. Um, and even his peers said that he was amazing at what he did in the Army. So he stuck with this for about 13 months, was like, which was basically mm -hmm. like basic training. And then he decided he wanted to change things up and train as a medic. So he did that and he was exceptional and he was transferred to San Antonio. Um, and again, did a phenomenal job here. So Gary was like, you know what? I think I can go on to do other things as well. So he told them that he wanted to kind of see more of the world, mm -hmm. use his job as a medic to get out there and, you know, explore the world and see truly where he's supposed to be in life. So he decided to make a huge transfer and he went all the way in Germany to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in West Germany. So here again, Gary is referred to as the best medic they have ever seen and he was constantly praised for his work. He trained a bunch of people, people shadowed him. His peers were giving him support and encouragement, um, which he had not had in so long. But still, he kept to himself and would not speak to his colleagues and still was referring to them as beneath him. So minus the fact, though, that Gary's not very warm and welcoming, he seems to be doing pretty good in life, right? Mm -hmm. 
Well, sadly, things began to change in the summer of 1962 when Gary actually had to check himself into the hospital as a patient. Gary was complaining of severe headaches, mild dizziness, blurred vision, nausea, me, I have all those things. <laughs> a, neuro- <laughs> a neurologist was called in and diagnosed Gary with gastro gastroenteritis. 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 <laughs> that. <laughs> but later came up with a surprising find. According to the reports, Gary was suffering from signs of severe mental illness and was quickly transferred back to Philadelphia from Germany, where he would be checked into mm. a military hospital. So tests were ran, and it was found that Gary was suffering from schizoid personality disorder. So because of this, Gary was honorably honorably discharged from the Army, and this pissed him off. Because he loved the Army, and yeah. he was like, oh my god, they turned on me. I'm not mental. Like, I can do this. Right. Um, so once he was once the person talking so highly of the military and now any chance he get he could get he was like looking down on it um talking bad about the military so completely made him do a 180 but gary remained confident and he was like you know what i have this medical experience as a medic i'm good at this let me look for a job in healthcare so gary was like you know what let me take it a step further from being a medic and i'm going to study to become a nurse So Gary did enroll into some universities, took some classes, completed nursing school, and he found his first job as a psychiatric nurse at Veterans Administration Hospital in Coatesville, Philadelphia. A veterans hospital. It's interesting. So this would soon become a very bad position for Gary, and he would often become enraged with anger dealing with these patients Mm -hmm. because, you know, they're mental patients. They can't sometimes do things on their own. They're slower to things. They don't understand things. And he would find himself just... And they're ex-military. Right. And they he would find himself just annoyed and pissed off and take his anger out on oh, them. Oh, goodness. He was found scolding patients, hitting them, manhandling them, shaking them, and showed no signs of empathy or compassion. And the nurse management was like, no, we're nurses here dealing with not only mental patients, but veterans. Like, the nurses here have to be compassionate caring loving respectful respectful so gary was fired not only as a result of this but because sometimes he would just not show up for work Mm -hmm. but again it was kind of like uh he's really good i mean they even said he was a great nurse wow so apparently the time that gary spent there though he was very good at saving his money and he did save a lot of money and he was able to build or buy a house for himself near elwin institute which is another institute for the mentally disabled so um gary experienced another tragic incident right around this time when his mother passed away she actually committed suicide after years of battling bone cancer, which led to obviously depression, alcoholism, and various other mental issues. Her death left a huge impact on Gary and he was completely shattered by this news. Um, So after, you know, getting discharged, losing his job, he was applying for several jobs and was not getting any call back because his resume was job hoppy. His references were not giving him good references and he had a horrible social life. Gary was, like, fed up. He was at his wit's end, and he actually tried to commit suicide himself. Um, So it was actually reported that Gary made over a dozen suicide attempts, all failed, obviously, and his brother Terry was actually suffering as well. 
Um, Terry at this time was actually checking into a mental institution as well after many failed suicide attempts. So he has mental issues. His mom is just uh, killed herself due to the mental issues. And now his brother, Terry, is also struggling from mental issues. Now, this might be a weird question. and You might not know this. But do mental issues, is that a genetic, does that run in the family? Okay. I think it, it depends maybe on which ones, but his dad clearly had something going on. Well, and it can be socially. You could develop them by social. Oh, yeah, right. but I'm just like, why, if he's so knowledgeable of, like, the human body and whatever, but, like, he wasn't able to succeed in dying right. by suicide, how, how so, so? The report said that he, well, so his mother died by drinking this like chloroform i think it would have oh my was what God. it was and then he tried several attempts at um overdosing and drinking some like um not formaldehyde what is it antifreeze oh but it did not work so so moving on this is where shit gets weird well all the shit's been weird but this <laughs> shit is like takes a turn so after years of depression after the loss of his job the social anxiety he doesn't have very many friends and the passing of his mother, Gary starts to recover. Great. So in 1971, Gary has the bright idea to start his own church. Uh. His idea of being superior to everyone made perfect sense in his mind why he needed to form his own church. He incorporated a church under the name the United Church of the Ministers of God. And because of lack of funds, the church was just based out of his house. In the beginning, this church only had five followers. One was his brother, Terry, and the other four were other mental patients themselves. <laughs> so many psychologists right. stated that Gary started this church just to prove to others that he was almighty and better, to, better than them. So in this church, there were several rules. Um, one of them was that Gary was the only one that had absolute power. He's the only one that had control or say what went on. And he was the only one that was responsible for all the money that came into the church. He was to be only called as the leader for life and also Brother Heidnick. Gary stated that the church would not take any collections during service and that the church officer's only goal and message to life was to speak the word of God without any pay. Instead, he told them that they would just get money by bingo, loans, stocks, and various business ventures, and of course, donations. Ultimately, Gary stated that their goal is, he said, quote, our sacred aim is to promote the worship and teachings of God. So Gary targeted mental patients to join his church because it was very easy for him to hold um, his title of superior. Gary was able to beat, scold, and push these patients around, and there would be no retaliation. At the peak of the church's journey, Gary had conjured 50 followers, all of which were mentally disabled patients, and the church was actually making a fucking pretty penny. So it was found, like, when the church was disbanded by him, that it was making around $500,000 a year which now equivalates to close to a million dollars. So Gary knew his fortunes were going to keep growing, so he decided in 19, 1986 to purchase another three-story house. Hmm. Gary rented out two floors to tenants, so kind of like an apartment complex, mm -hmm. but inside one of the floors, he lived with his girlfriend, Anjanette Davids, 
Davidson, so she was also mentally disabled and illiterate. Um, and later, this she would become his wife um, as well. Okay. So no matter how successful Gary was becoming financially, he still remained very recluse. It would seldom speak to anyone. The tenants say the only time he would talk to them is when he was collecting rent. Now, speaking of which, there was an in- that's kind of how Gary first got arrested. So there was a tenant living in the home and he was late on rent. Gary went around to collect money. The tenant told Gary, he was like, hey, I don't have the money. I do get paid tomorrow. Can you please just give me a day to give you the money and I can get it to you tomorrow? And Gary was pissed. And so he started to beat and kick this tenant to the ground. Well, this tenant actually put up a fight and pushed and hit Gary back. And this damaged Gary's ego significantly because he's not used to people retaliating back at him. Mm -hmm. So the way he dealt with this is Gary went and got a pistol and shot him (gasps) point blank range to the face. But Gary was a little pussy ass bitch and he was like shaking like (laughs) and he was trembling so bad that when he shot, when he pulled the trigger, it shot a bullet and it barely missed his, um, so it barely missed his face and like skid his cheek. So he was bleeding. And so other tenants in the house heard the gunshot and they called the police. So ambulance showed up, police showed up and Gary was arrested and charged with aggravated assault. Um, and this tenant, this tenant actually filed a lawsuit as well. However, Gary spent no time in prison because Gary had money, honey, and he just paid paid the tenant off to basically just shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. So if he would have just waited one day, he could have saved himself money and gotten his rent. Right. So he was like, don't charge me. Look, we'll be good. Here's some money. Shush. So (laughs) I want to add another weird... I didn't know where this was going to fit in, but here's a good part. So Gary is actually a virgin, at this time and his sexual urges are like intensifying so he had never had sex with anyone at this point so his lifestyle of being like a loner and considering everybody beneath him he couldn't quite find the person that would fit his needs um so not only was he odd in that aspect but he was actually had a lopsided head which was because he fell out of a tree at a young age is what they think (laughs) i don't think i think it's a birth defect Okay, I'm um, picturing the guy from the Goonies. Actually, I thought about that too. But no, it's not that bad. But this made it hard for him to attract women. So the day comes where he finally gets it in with his girlfriend, who, keep in mind, she is mentally disabled severely, um, Anjanette David. So once the couple had sex, Gary was pissed. He said it was very underwhelming. He thought it was going to be out of this world, like what he saw on TV and in movies and shit like that. So ever since he was a young boy, he said he would dream of the day that he would have sex. And he fantasized about that idea. So keep in mind, she's mentally disabled. She's not able to be like a porn star in the bedroom. So he was very underwhelmed and was like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't like it. So... A few years go by, Gary was staying out of trouble for the most part, um, and the United Church of the Ministers of God was doing fantastic. Money was pouring in. Gary was living a life of luxury um, with his now wife, Anjanette David. In 1978, they even welcomed a baby girl, Maxine, into the world. And you would think, okay, Gary has a daughter. He's going to soften. He's going to warm up. 
Nope, he was livid because Anjanette was not able to care for the baby because she was so uh-huh. severely disabled. So she told Gary, she was like, look, you're going to have to cut back on some of your personal activities and responsibilities mm-hmm. and care for this baby. And he was like, fuck that shit. No, I don't want to do that. So he was angry. So he decided to take his anger out in a whole new way. So he puts Anjanette in the car and tells her that they're going to go visit her sister, Alberta, who is also mentally disabled. And they signed her out of the institution for the day that she was at. And this institution's at Harrisburg, um, or is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. When they got back to Gary's house, Anjanette went away and Gary took Alberta by the arm drug her down into the cold, dark basement all alone. Mm -hmm. So although she was 34 years old, um, she had the mind of a seven-year-old. So she was not able to even, she was not even able to voice, like she basically, they said all she did was just cry, 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 cry. So Anjanette asked Gary, like, where is Alberta? And he said, oh, I just went ahead and checked her back in for the day. So he claimed that he had brought her back to the institution. So then out of nowhere, Gary gets a loud knock on the door, and it's the police. They are demanding a search of Gary's house because Gary did not return Alberta to the institution like he promised, so they sent police out to investigate. Um, So they found Alberta. She was in the basement naked. She was scared. She was crying. She was trembling in fear. Um, Police were then very concerned with what they saw, so they decided that it would be best to just go ahead and do a full examination on Alberta. When the results came back... It was found that she had been severely raped, severely sodomized, and she even contracted gonorrhea. Gary was charged with several crimes, but he appealed this to the judge saying, hey, I'm not a serial offender. I don't need to do the seven years. And the judge agreed and said, okay, you can just do one. So he spent one year in jail. And at this time, Anjanette divorced Gary, obviously because he abused her sister. So Gary was released from prison one year later and Gary went ahead and sold his house and was like, you know what? I'm going to start fresh and I'm just going to buy a completely new house. So he did buy a house and he shared the basement with one of his friends. So he essentially kind of had like a roommate. So things were going well. The church was doing well. Money was coming in and he was like, I want to marry again. So he thought of the thing. He thought in his mind that he would just go ahead and get a mail order bride. Um, So he found one from the Philippines, and her name was Betty Disto. Betty was gorgeous. She was small. She was petite. She was sweet. Um, Everybody that saw her with him was like, okay, this could be good for Gary. You know, she's sweet. She's got a great head on her shoulders. But they were also concerned because they were like, no, this girl is way out of his league. Is she in it for money? You know, something was off. So on October 3rd, 1985, the two got married, but it only lasted a few months because... Betty came home on multiple occasions of Gary in bed with another woman. So she yelled at him. She screamed at him. She cried. But he was like, oh, no, no, no. It won't happen again. I'm so sorry. I'm so Mm. sorry. And she believed him. Well, the next day, she caught him in bed again with another woman. But this time, the next day. But Betty raised her voice even louder. He got out of bed with the woman, beat her, tied her up, and then forced her to watch the two exchange an intercourse. So then, she's traumatized by this. Two days later, Gary invites a sex worker home and forces Betty to watch them have sex. 
Stop. So Betty's like, hell to the motherfucking no. And she's like, we're divorcing. This is fucking ridiculous. Mm-mm. Sadly, though, she was so distressed by all this. She did not show up to court because she did not want to relive this. Um, so all uh, charges were dropped on Gary because she could not testify. So Betty thinks she's free. She goes back to the Philippines. Gary's done with her. They're like, fine. So be it. Well, Unfortunately, Betty finds out she is indeed pregnant with Gary's child. And Mm -hmm. it was reported that he would rape and beat her daily. Now, this baby had a huge impact on Gary because Betty did file for a substantial amount of child support payments and he had to pay them. And at this exact same time, Anjanette gave their baby Maxine up for adoption. So he's losing essentially two children at this time. Okay. So this is kind of what stemmed his anger that he was going to go into. So this is where we get into the true, 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 horrifying, gnarly case of this, okay? Okay. So like I said, he loses two babies, two wives. He's pissed. So he comes up with this other bright idea that he wants to start a baby factory in his basement. Ew. And he came up with this idea that he was going to kidnap, torture, lock up, and then impregnate 10 different women. So this plan came to life November 1986. Josefina Rivera, who spent most of her time in northern Philadelphia, did not have the best home life. She was a single mother of three and very young herself. She was a sex worker, and her boyfriend at the time would yell at her over money issues and would give her unreasonable demands. Josephina was an African-American, so being black and a sex worker at this time was not the easiest way to make a living. One day, during an altercation with her boyfriend, she slammed the door in his face and went out for the night looking for a potential client. The night was dark, freezing, raining heavily, when finally a car came up. She was like, okay, this could be somebody interested. And at this point, she's just trying to get out of the severe weather. Mm-hmm. So a white Cadillac Coupe de Ville passed her up a few times and she knew he was kind of interested in her. So eventually the car came to a stop. Josephina leaned into the window to ask the driver how she could help him. The driver had a beard, he wore glasses, and she noticed that he had a very weirdly shaped head. Mm. Ring a bell. Ring a ring. <laughs> Josephina asked if she could give, if he could give her a ride and he shook his head and said, get in. He agreed to pay her for exchange and sex. Gary introduced himself by his real name and steadied Josephina up and down as he was driving. Ew. She was very weirded out by this, but again, she was kind of blinded by all the flashiness that he was bringing. Okay. Gary told her that he needed to make a quick stop along the way to their destination. So Josephina was like, yeah, that's just fine. So they pull into a McDonald's. They get out of the car. They go inside. Gary orders a coffee. But he doesn't ask Josephine if she wants anything, so she just sits silently while he drinks his coffee in one of the booths. Josephina takes his time to study him up and down, and she notices that he obviously has a lot of money. He drove a luxury car, he had flashy watches and accessories on, and he looked very nice. So she decided to try to make some conversation. She goes, okay, so what's your name again? And he said, Gary Heidnick. And he kept his eyes away from her the whole time. He was just looking down at his coffee. So she was very turned off by this. So, so shortly after, he said, get up, we're leaving. Ah. And she said, where are we going? And he said, my house, let's go. 
What about the check? Oh, well, at McDonald's, you pay right up front. Never right. <laughs> so they get into the car to make their way to Gary's house. Then they pulled up to the home, and she noticed a really nice Rolls Royce in the driveway. And Josephina immediately felt a sense of happiness, and she thought this could be like her dream come true, and that he might pay her very well for her services. So as they arrived at the door, Gary pulled out a key, but she was like, that looks like an odd key. So she questioned Gary about the key, and he explained that the other half of the key was permanently in the keyhole, that way, when he put the other side of the key in, it mm-hmm. would open, which is not possible. Not possible, and it's not real. Um, so Josephina like shook her head in agreement, but she was like, "Well, that doesn't make much fucking I sense." I thought he was smart. <laughs> right. Well, he probably thinks these women are not smart. Oh, that's you a know? good point. Yeah. So as they entered the home, she noticed that the house was so filthy, and she was Ew. like, "How? Like this guy drives nice cars, looks nice, but the house is filthy." She was like, you could tell that the house had not been cleaned. The furniture was dirty. The fixtures were very aged and outdated and just looked gross. But she was shocked because instead of wallpaper, he had glued $1 and $5 bills all on the wall as well as pennies. That would smell. So she was like, I've been with a lot of wrench clients in the past, but none of them flaunted their money to this extreme to where they're just gluing their money onto the walls. So she was mesmerized by his house. Um, he gave her a tour and she was admiring a lot of the walls when all of a sudden two hands come behind her and start to choke her. (laughs) Josephina fought back, but she was being choked to the extreme and she cannot overpower Gary, who is a full ass grown man at this point. Gary then took her arms, tied them behind her back and let her down into the cold, dark basement. Josephina was thrown on top of a wet, dirty mattress, and metal clamps were attached to her ankles. He then tied the clamps to a metal chain. Josephina was not going anywhere. I also read in the book that he couldn't get the clamps to go um, all the way, so he got a hot glue gun and, like, hot glued them together and onto her skin. So he was just, like, putting hot glue all over them just to make sure that they were, like, bounded together, which... Why did he have a hot glue gun? Don't know, but that is just... So Gary was done. um, When he was done ensuring that Josephina was tied up and not able to escape, he he yelled at her and told her to sit up. Mm -hmm. So frightened, she was like, okay. So she sat up, and she was nervous that he was about to, like, beat her, but she was shocked because he went right next to her, laid his head in her lap and fell asleep. Ew. So creepy. And then, you know, Josephina actually took a nap as well because she was exhausted from the day and like fighting back. It took a lot out of her. So she fell asleep. But when she awoke, um, he was not nowhere to be found. She saw light coming in through the basement at the little bitty windows, mm-hmm. you know, at the top. Um, so she was like, okay, where is Gary now? So she got like a, good look at where she was mm-hmm. and she noticed she was in a basement but it was repurposed to resemble a prison Lovely. and there was a massive massive hole in the middle of it where like the cement had been carved out and taken out and he was digging he would come throughout the day and just dig in that hole over and over and over again so while gary would work on this hole he told josephina josephina why he brought her there and what his intentions were He said it was his dream to bring 10 women into his basement, impregnate them, and start a big happy family. Josephina kind of like made a sly remark. She was like, (sighs) like she scoffed. It's a little ambitious. 10? And and Gary 
was enraged with anger, so he brutally beat her, raped her, and Josephina left. Oh, and he left Josephina in the room, just on the floor, naked, on the Bound floor. still. Bound still. So Josephina actually said in her book, Cellar Girl, she said, I stood there for a moment, silently speaking to myself, Josephina, you will survive this. You are strong. You are a fighter. You will adapt. And she kept telling Damn. herself that over and over again. So while she was left alone, Josephina decided, you know what? If I'm going to be down here, I at least have to try to escape, right? So she was actually able to finagle her way out of the clamps. And she Mm -hmm. made it over to a window where she was actually able to kind of pry it open. Only halfway, though. She was like, you know what? I'm small. Let me crawl up there and get through the window. So when she was crawling through it, it got stuck. And she was like, shit. So she decided, you know what? I'm just going to scream for help, hoping that somebody nearby, like a neighbor or somebody, will hear her. So she was screaming, help, 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 help me. I'm over here. And unfortunately, nobody heard her. And all of a sudden, she hears footsteps coming down the stairs. And she's like, oh, shit, he heard me. So he immediately grabbed her by her hair Mm. and started beating her with a stick telling her to shut up. How dare she? He clamped her back even tighter. Um, And remember that hole in the middle of the basement I was referring to? Yes. He, after he was done beating and raping her, he then took Josephina out of the clamps and shoved her in that hole. But the hole at this point was kind of small. He was still working on it. So he beat her on the top of the head with something so she would fit and told her to put her head to her chest so that she could fit into it. And then he covered the hole with plywood and a bunch of weights on top to make sure that she could not escape. So when he did this, she's like screaming and crying. So he gets a radio and turns it up all the way and puts it on a heavy metal station, which is so eerie to think Mm -hmm. that you have to listen to heavy metal. I don't want to hear heavy metal on my best days, let alone when I'm done. I hate cut my life into pieces. Okay, that's not fucking metal. That's stupid. Well, whatever. Okay, so. Actually, it's not. I kind of like that. So in between the radio, like in between the songs, like when the the radio was switched songs, she could hear screaming and crying from another woman. Okay. And from upstairs, from upstairs, like from on top of her, basically I'm saying upstairs from, cause she's in the hole. So like the area, uh, the basement, <gasps> cause she's underneath. Remember? So oh. she could hear Gary screaming and arguing with another woman and then silence. And then she heard metal chains being dragged across the floor above her. So, to her surprise, Gary removed the weights and the wood and pulled her out and tied her back up to the pipe. But now she noticed that there was another woman in the room with her tied up to a separate pipe. This woman was naked except for a blouse, but she was so turned off because the woman was so silent and was just kind of like in a state of shock. She wasn't moving. She wasn't speaking. She wasn't crying. So, Josephina was like, I don't understand why this girl won't talk to me. So finally, when Gary did leave the room, Josephina started talking to the other woman who found out her name was Sandy Lindsay. And it did not take long before Josephina figured out why the poor woman had been so silent. She was severely mentally disabled. Uh, Sandy told Josephina that she had known Gary for many years, that they had met at Elwyn Institute, which is where Alberta um, right. was. 
And she revealed to Josephina some secrets. She said that Gary and his friend Tony actually raped her on multiple (gasps) occasions. And that Sandy actually got pregnant by Gary, but she had to get an abortion because she knew she could not properly care for the child because of her disability. And Gary was pissed. And he even tried to pay her thousands of money to keep it. But she said no. So, Josephina and Sandy continue to lean on each other for support, friendship, encouragement um, for the days to come. So, Gary would come down to the basement um, and beat them and rape them over and over again. The two women are completely battered. They're half naked. It's freezing. And then he comes down to the basement one day and he's like, hey, Sandy, your two sisters stopped by uh, the house to ask if you were here. And I told them no. And they went on their way. And then he's like, but Sandy... I need you to write a letter explaining to your mother that you've gone away and that you'll contact her soon. So Sandy had no option but to write this letter and he like mailed it off so that the family could get it. That way he was wiping his hands clean of Sandy. So Gary, like I said, continued to punish the two girls. He raped them. He beat them. Um, And he would often come down to like check on the two girls and it was kind of odd for them because he would be so mean and then he would come down to like, hey, how are y'all? Like Kind of like a split personality or something? Right. And he gave them no blankets, no nothing. So they would like oftentimes like huddle together in the corners just to keep warm. They were able to do that with the chains on their feet? Mm -hmm. They were kind of, they were tied to pipes, but close-ish to each other. Okay. but the two girls said anytime they would scream for help or even make the slightest noise, he would beat them. Oh, my God. So Gary told them that he was excited to come up with some cruel and unusual punishment for them just to keep things interesting. So he eventually tied them up by their arms to the ceiling for hours just hanging there, and they would lose all feeling in their arms. Um, their arms would turn black and blue from <laughs> lack of circulation, of just dangling there. They would go in and out of consciousness for some times. But then randomly Christmas comes and um, Gary's like, hey, let's celebrate Christmas. Let's add a third wife to our bunch. And How the girls, many are there now? Five? There's two. And oh. they're about to add the third one. So one night Gary went out driving and he noticed another young lady walking along the street. She was also a sex worker. He rolled down the window and made a sexual comment to her. But the lady yelled at him. <laughs> Lisa Thomas was 19 years old, and she was walking to a friend's house that night. Gary changed the tone in his voice and asked her if he could give her a ride, because at first he was very harsh and derogatory, Uh and then he changed it to be like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. Uh Um, So Lisa was like, wow, okay, maybe this is kind of a nice man. And he's like, hey, let me take you to your friend's house, get you out of this weather, and hey, I'll even get you a meal on the way. And she was like, okay, I'll do that. So on their way to the friend's house... Um, Gary slipped something into her water. They left, and she ended up unconscious in his car. So in when, his car. Yeah. So when she woke up, she was in the cold, dark basement. And the first thing that she saw when she opened her eyes was the other two girls chained up. So she began to scream. And Josephina and Sandy were like, hey, 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 don't scream too loud. Look, you're not in good hands, but look, you have us here. This is what his intentions are. And they went through the whole thing, how he wants 10 wives. He wants to get them all pregnant. Um, And they all agreed that if any of them were to escape, that they would immediately send for help. Exactly. So Gary continued to rape and torture the three women on and off. And one night, Gary returned home with a fourth wife, Deborah Dudley. 
But let me tell you, Deborah, out of all the girls, she was the most combative. She was not going down without a fight. She would constantly belittle Gary. She would call him like a little bitch. She'd be like, I'm not listening to you. I don't have to listen to you. I'm not doing that. And it would piss him off. She would question Gary's authority, be like, you're not in charge. You don't have to tell me what to do. Um, so Gary would beat Deborah, but eventually every time she would lash out, he would beat the other three women as well. So she was like, oh, they were like, can you please not do that? Like, keep your yeah. thoughts to yourself. So Gary was starting to use beatings more and more frequently. And at this point, the three women or the four women had black eyes, bruised bodies, and they were super, super weak. And anytime Gary would leave for an extended period of time, he would appoint one of the ladies to be the leader of the group. So it was her job basically to report back to him if the other girls misbehave, which I don't know they would say oh yeah emily was naughty i don't i don't know if any uh. of that ever happened so if one of the girls misbehaved the other ladies had to beat her up oh i hate that and you wonder like if they didn't say something would they be reprimanded he would for think that? they were lying so yeah so gary would normally just beat them up regardless because he didn't believe the leader of that day so okay. josephina was like you know what i'm gonna try a different approach i I'm going to make Gary like me and I'm going to start showing my loyalty to Gary. I'm going to become obedient. I'm going to do everything he wants. So mm -hmm. Josephina was giving Gary the impression that she really enjoyed being his wife and Gary loved it. He started referring to Josephina as his favorite wife. So this actually turned Gary on um, and he was actually aroused by this Ew. and he kept telling them, oh, you know, Having four Stop. wives is like my dream. So he would rape them over and over again. He would demand the four girls have sex with him. And then he would masturbate on top of them. That's disgusting. So let me circle back to the conditions just to like paint a picture. So it's okay. a cold, dark basement. It's dark. It's wet. There's a huge pit in the middle, which mm -hmm. is kind of like their torture chamber. Um, he did give them a portable toilet. And at first he did not allow them to shower. He only would give them baby wipes. But then in like yeah. some reports, he was disgusted when he would rape them that they were dirty. So he would allow them to shower. But he told them that if they wanted to shower, that he, they would be subject to rape afterwards. So they kind of just were like, do we shower and get raped? Or do we just be filthy and dirty and still probably get raped, right? So one day in between the rapes, the women were actually allowed to watch television um, since they only got one meal a day, if they were lucky, there was a commercial that came on and it was advertising uh, dog food. Mm -hmm. And one of the women jokingly was like, gosh, that dog food looks good enough to eat. <laughs> no. And Gary heard it and he was like, you know what, bitch, I'll make your wish come true. So from then on, he would only feed the women canned wet dog food and would beat the ladies if they did not lick up every bit off their plate. What if they threw it up? I don't know. They could probably make him eat it. Like in Sylvia. In the like book, in though, they they did mention, though, that the dog food probably saved their lives, though, because they were so malnourished. And it that, had a lot of nutrients. Yeah. And, okay. Wow. So, so Gary was getting bored. And think about all the punishments they're going through. Eating dog food is probably the least of their worries at this point. You're right. So, yeah. So Gary was getting <laughs> bored of having just four wives. So he went on a search to bring home their fifth victim. He found 18-year-old Jacqueline Askins. And just like the others, he went on his nightly drive. He found a sex worker and he lured her in. Once he brought Jacqueline home, he raped her several times before dragging her into the basement to join her other four wi sister wives, is what he referred to them as. 
So he had to use handcuffs on Jacqueline though instead of the clamps because she was so tiny that they were falling off of her ankle. So he used uh -huh. um, handcuffs, which is kind of jarring because you can just picture a little petite young girl. She's 18 years old. So in an interview, Jacqueline said, he stripped me of all my clothes. He yanked my wig off, my everything. And I just sat there screaming. And people who do, women who do have to wear wigs, that's like their, um, like almost like a cloak of like, you it's know. like your identity. It's like, like that's like you're stripping them of their identity. You know, sometimes whether it be alopecia or just, you know. Well, my you, mom lost her hair because of chemo, so. Right, exactly. And like the, the significance of pulling the wig off is just you stripping them of their identity. So Unless you're a drag queen. Right, which they do it on their own. So that same day, Gary brought home a feast of Chinese food for the girls to celebrate his favorite wife, Josephina's birthday. Um, and Gary also shared some news with them. And so did Sandy and Josephina. They are both pregnant with this child. So, Do you think they announced it like in a happy way? No. I don't okay. think the girls did. He probably did because that's right. his goal. So that did not stop the beatings though because you would think, okay, we're pregnant. They're not going to beat us. Like He's still dead. Right. Yeah. So February of 1987, Sandy was caught trying to help one of the other girls out of the pit. So he tied Sandy up and hung her by the roof of the basement just by her wrist for several days without any days food, without any food so sandy at this point when he went to go check on her she was basically just hanging there lifeless so he was like oh my god she's deteriorating quickly now keep in mind his goal is not to kill these women he wants them to have babies and be well, right <laughs> so it was visible that she was just giving up and she was refusing to eat he was putting um food in her mouth and like trying to force her to eat she was running at around 104 degrees fever, and then she would be shaking and sweating profusely, and then she would have the chills. So it was very clear that she was, you know, Ill. fading out. But Gary told the women that she was faking it, so he just continued to beat her and said, I'll just beat it out of her. Um, so then he threw her in the pit and covered it up with wood again. So when he returned, he opened the pit, and she was dead. She was that. lifeless and she was blue. He tried to find a pulse, but he could not. He went to deliver the news to the girls and they bursted out in tears because at this point, that's their friend. And Gary told them, well, I think she just choked on a piece of food. She was eating a bit too quickly. So yeah, this is sad, but just be glad it wasn't you. He wasn't feeding her. Oh, was she 19? That one? I don't know. I don't oh, know okay. her age. So as she was in her, none of them were older than like 25. Okay. I thought they were all really young. Yeah. So all of a sudden the four women, okay, so she dies, right? Yeah. And he takes her body somewhere. All of a sudden the four women hear a power saw turn on upstairs. Inside. Yes. So the ladies begin to tremble in fear because they heard this power saw cutting through something and it was loud. So then all of a sudden they heard something come down the stairs and it was Gary's dog but he was gnawing on a big meaty bone that was clearly a human, okay? Because it still had flesh and ligaments on it. So mm -hmm. it was later reported by investigators that Gary used the tool to chop up Sandy's body and he used a meat processor to chop up her flesh and meat and he fed it to the dogs. He even took the dog food that he was feeding the women and mixed Sandy's body up in it with it and made them eat it. There, I think you would get so vilely sick. Oh, for sure. 
for sure. He dismembered her body, but he had um, significant difficulty with her arms and legs, so he placed them in the freezer and labeled them dog food. Her ribs were cooked and roasted in the oven, and her head was boiling in a pot on the stove to be fed to the women later and himself. So the smell of the dead body was starting to erupt the entire house. Josephina later said on an Oxygen TV special, she said, there was this horrible, horrible smell I will never forget in my life. It was bad. The odor was consuming. So the odor was so bad that the neighbors even started to smell it and they called the police. But when the police came to the door, Gary was like, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm cooking a roast and I fell asleep and it burnt. And the officer That's like, what the Golden State Killer said. Oh, well, he wasn't covering up a body smell. And the police officers were like, oh, okay, no worries. And they left. Jeez. So one day, Gary took Deborah upstairs because he wanted to, quote, show her something. And mm-hmm. while he was upstairs, he showed her a pot and said, hey, go ahead, go ahead and remove the lid. And when she did, she saw the floating head of Sandy Lindsay floating and being boiled into a stew. So she immediately began to scream. She threw up everywhere. He also showed her where he was cooking Sandy's rib cage and had planned to feed that to them later that day as well. Um, and he also showed her her arms and her legs wrapped in plastic inside of the fridge. Um, and he also threatened, if they tried to escape, that this could be them next. So what she witnessed put her in shock, and she became, like, quiet for a long time. So the girls came together, and they decided, you know what? Enough is enough. We're going to kill Car- Gary. We're going to attack him when he comes down here. There's, what, four of us. We're going to put an end to this. But so, their feet are still chained, right? Um, he would take them off to move around and then clamp them back. So at this point, though, they had this plan. All Mm -hmm. the girls were on it. Josephina went upstairs and told Gary of the girls' plans, and he was pissed. So he became very, very, very on edge that these girls were going to come and, like, beat him. So he, again, took all of them. Um, He put clamps on their legs and tied them upside down to the ceilings and left them there hanging for days while being blindfolded and gagged, okay? But the blood would rush so much. Well, they would, like, hoist themselves up and, like, hold themselves up on the chains, kind of like a sit-up, you know? Yeah, but isn't... How would you do that so long? I don't... Did you want to try? No, but Josephine's (laughs) not... Josephine is not subject to any of this because she's... And I love how she could just, like, walk upstairs. I know. So she was free. So... Because of Josephina planting this bug in his ear, he is worried that things are going to take a turn for the worse, that they're going to attack him. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to try something new. He takes screwdrivers and shoves them in their ears, trying to gouge the women's eardrums out and deafen them. So he figured, you know what? If they're deaf, they cannot hear me coming. So he would do this to them over and over again. They were bleeding out. Um, And so, yeah, they're... um, Eardrums? Eardrums were bust, and mm-hmm. they their um, hearing was actually very, very... It wasn't completely gone, but they could not hear very well. So right. we also wanted to try something new. He took a naked wire and plugged it into a light socket, and he would hold it up to their clamps, like the metal, and start electrocuting them over and over again. The girls would scream, they would squirm around, and Gary would just watch in pleasure. So, again, mm-hmm. Josephina was exempt from all this, and she, at this point, was starting to help Gary out. So it was obvious that she was his favorite. She was allowed to watch movies. She was allowed Jeez. to be raped in bed with him as opposed to on the floor. 
Um, she was given yummy food. She was given hot chocolate, water whenever she needed it. But if she ever did not obey, then he, she would be subject to the beatings as well. So he loved the electrocution method and decided to get Josephina to help him fill up the pit with water and ice. And he threw the girls in there and he started to tap that wire into the water mm. to electrocute them over and over and over again. So as they were doing this, one of the chains on Deborah made direct contact with the wire and electrocuted her so severely that she died. So Gary walked over to her and he stood over her and said, yep, she's dead. Now I can get back to having a peaceful basement because, you know, she was the one that was always very verbal about not wanting to listen right. to him. So he's like, well, we got that done. Jeez. So after she was dead, he drug her body away and he told the ladies that he was going to go upstairs and make sandwiches, sandwiches for everybody. Okay. And Gary did tell the girls, well, you should just be happy that it didn't happen to you. So he then told Josephina that he needed that she needed to write a letter about her participation in this death. That way, if the cops ever did found out, that he would just plant it on her and not him. And she agreed to that. She was like, yeah, I'll do it. So Josephina had fully convinced Gary that she was on his side. Um, Gary was even taking her out to restaurants and outings and different parties. And while they would go out, the women would be, the other women would be chained up. So one day when they were out to get out together, Gary told Josephina that he had been fooling the cops for years and that he, if he was ever caught, he would just tell them that he was insane and they would just not give him some cruel and unusual punishment. But he was driving. So now that Deborah is dead, Gary told Josephina that he needed to find her replacement and asked Josephina to assist him. She again said, sure. So Gary and Josephina found Agnes and kidnapped her, forcing her into their vehicle. Agnes was quickly stripped naked again and chained up like the other women. Josephina, catching on that she had gained Gary's trust, she was like, hey, do you mind if I just go visit my family for a little bit? It's been four months. I'm really missing them. And shockingly, he said, yeah. And she was like, you know what? I promise when I return, I'll bring back another wife for you. And he was like, oh, this is a great idea for us to expand our family together. I really appreciate you doing that. Um, so she was like, listen, drop me off at the gas station. I'm going to go over to their apartment and just pick me up here at the gas station when the sun goes down. And okay. he agreed. So immediately she runs over to her apartment. She bursts through the door and she is confronted by her concerned boyfriend. Because keep in mind, it's been about four months. And she told him everything that had happened. So... Sadly, though, Vincent thought that she had just gone crazy and that she was just a sex worker on drugs. Um, she, he was like, these stories are so insane. There's no way these are fucking true. So Josephina was like, oh, my God, like, why don't you believe me? And because these stories are absurd. I mean, I would kind of be like, um, what? But I mean, I would trust my significant other. So she called the police station and they, too, thought that something was wrong with her and that she was on drugs. Well, because she was allowed to, like, go out and go eat. Right. So they thought something was wrong with her, but they were like, you know what? It doesn't hurt for us to go check it out with you. So they go to Gary's home to check it out. So when policeman David and John Cannon arrived, they arrested Gary immediately. And finally, the basement of hell and horror was over. Thank so God. So Josephina did do a good thing. I think she had good intentions. Right. So on the early morning of March 25th, 1987, around 5 a.m., Homicide Lieutenant James Hansen and a squad of policemen arrived at Gary's home. Because of the intricate lock system, they couldn't get in. 
So they were like, you know what? We're just going to have to break down the door. They break down the door and Josefina was like, hey, go to the basement. That's where the other girls are. So they went down in there and they were like, oh my gosh, this is a horrible, horrible place to be. Like I said, it was wet. It was dark. They like slipped on the stairs going down. The odor was insane. And immediately they saw the silhouette of women lying on a mattress sleeping. Um, so immediately they woke up and the girls started screaming. Yeah. Uh, they thought they were going to get beat again. Um, but the policemen were like, no, 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 no. It's okay. We're police. We're here to save you. Everything's okay. And the ladies immediately started pointing over to that pit and they were like, help her, help her, help her. So they pulled back the weights and the piece of wood and Agnes was inside, um, that hole and she was like trembling in fear. Um, so they pulled Agnes out and they immediately took all of the women to an ambulance so that they could receive the medical attention that they so clearly needed. So the police then were like, you know what? We need to do a full search on this house. And they found human ribs, human arms and legs, an industrial food processor that looked to be used um, to cook the body of a human. They also found a closet full of porn, exclusively featuring only black women. Um, And just to mention, all the women that he captured were black as well. On June 20th, 1988, began Gary's trial. And this consisted of six black jurors and six white jurors. Defending his case was Charles Puerto, who had a reputation for defending sensational cases. Mm -hmm. Gary was formally charged with, this is a list, kidnapping, murder, rape, uh, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, sodomy, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, indecent exposure, simple assault, indecent assault, unlawful restraint, as well as many others. Needless to say, he had a lot, a lot going against him. So Defiling a corpse would be one. Right. There was a lot on the list. I just picked out some of them. So in an interview with Gary, when he was talking about the torture he put on the women, he said, I was trying to find something that would make them behave. And the interview said, but it was painful to them. And Gary said, yeah, I hope so. That's what I was trying to achieve. You know, make them behave. So, idiot. Or you could just ask fucking nicely. Or you could just not kidnap somebody, sir. They weren't doing anything wrong. wrong. I know. So, during the trial, the survivors took the stand to share their experiences with the jury, which was super traumatizing to the jury. Uh, So, Josephina was the first one to tell her story since she was the oldest and the first one. So, she told her story. However, the other victims, like the other women, um, they wanted Josephina to be charged with something, too, considering her involvement in the deaths and the torture. So later on a TV show, Jacqueline said, Josephina, she killed Debbie, and we could have all gotten out of there alive. She was a lot, there was a lot of stuff she didn't do that she could have. I just thought she took on a serial killer idea, too. She was the oldest, and she was supposed to protect us. Even though she was in a bad situation, she was still supposed to protect us. Like they felt betrayed. They felt betrayed. Especially because she'd said what their plan was to attack him. So Dr. Paul Hoyer took the stand and relayed to the courtroom what evidence he found. So it read as followed. He found two forearms, two knees, a thigh, an upper arm, muscle tissue, and skin. In all, he found 27 pounds of human remains. The knees? And this is where the women found that they were actually eating Sandy's body. They didn't know that? They didn't know. They had no clue. And Gary uh, admitted to it in the court case. So 
The defense relied heavily on Gary's mental state and started speaking on his schizophrenia and the other various mental illnesses. So Puerto asked Gary if he knew the difference between right and wrong, and Gary said no. So then Puerto asked the judge to focus on Josefina and that they could, should consider that he could have had an accomplice. The judge said if Gary was able to enlist the aid of an accomplice, then that is an act of a sane person. Therefore, I don't want to hear any of your other arguments against this. That counteracts what you just said. So, yeah. So the defense tried several other tactics, but the judge did not accept any of them. So on June 30th, 1988, after 10 days in trial, the jury, the jury deliberated for 16 hours and they finally came to a verdict. They found Gary guilty of 18 charges and even decided on the death penalty for Gary. Wait, only 18? Mm-hmm. Gary remained, because remember, it has to be without a doubt. This could just be hearsay. So Gary re remained silent and showed zero remorse for his actions in the outcome of the trial. Gary's death was scheduled for July 6, 1999, so he had to sit in jail for 10 years in solitary confinement. <gasps> he was in solitary for 10 years? Mm -hmm. That's a thing? Yeah. Well, you're in solitary confinement with other people on death row, but you're still by yourself. You can be let out for maybe an hour. But he wanted this, too. He wanted to be by himself. So after all this is said and done, the survivors received only a $30,000 settlement. Each? So, each. On the day of his death, Gary stated that he had no last statements to give and showed no reason to show any resistance to the process. He was silent and did as told. They did ask him, do you have anything to say? Do you want to admit to anything? And he was like, no, I'm okay. I'm good. Thank you, though. No <laughs> last words. No last words. Um, so Gary will go down in history as one of the most gruesome killers in the world. Um, he was the um, influence for the show si or the movie Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill. And Gary is the 555th person to be executed in the United States of America. Now, I'm going to post all of these photos on our Instagram like I uh -huh. always do. But the images of the basement are horrifying. The women are so beautiful, too. Um, luckily, we do have some survivors in this, which is, you know, good. Um, yeah. But a lot of them have come out. There's an Oxygen TV sh um, series about it. Uh, Josephina wrote a book called Cellar Girl. The book that I read over this, which I got some of the details from, was called The Basement, which you can get uh -huh. on Amazon too. Or I even found it at Barnes & Nobles. So there's a lot of good books that came from this. Um, a lot of the women were able to move on and, you know, become, get married and then just share their cases. Shit shared their um, stories with a lot of sex workers as well. And two, two people died down there? Two people. Okay. Two people. So that's the story of Gary Heidnick, a crazy motherfucker. Oh, hate that. Hate him. Yes. So rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, family, and visit our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast. Thanks, guys. Be Good night. Patreon. Bye. Bye.